You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode 123, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Thank you for joining me as we explore the U.S. medical system in a fun and informative format through expert analysis. Today I'm on the road. I'm on spring break, but I have to get this episode out to you guys because the issue is so pertinent to right now. It's so timely. We're going to talk about vaccine passports. And today's title is going to be not nuanced, like usual for me. It's going to be why vaccine passports are a dumb and dangerous idea. And I don't usually use those terms when I talk on the podcast, uh, but in this case, it absolutely is accurate. And I'll go through why I think this is a really bad idea why it's unnecessary, and I'm going to try and lay out a compelling argument for the passports to begin with, and then we're going to deconstruct those ideas and show why it's really unnecessary. And something that I think we should, either as medical professionals or people who are not in the medical system, need to rise up and stop this because it's a very bad idea. I'd highly encourage you, if there's ever an episode to share, to give to your friends or family members, this is the one, right? This is the point where we're emerging from this pandemic. Yes, the next wave is coming, and this is the my guess is probably the last wave that we're going to see of significant case volumes, at least in this country. We're only talking about the United States. It's entirely different in other parts of the world. And we'll touch on that briefly during the discussion today, too. But if there's an episode to share, this is the episode for people who are skeptical of passports, people who are supportive of passports. If you just want people to get a different perspective from someone, I think this is going to be a worthwhile episode and hopefully provide a foundation for a better understanding for when this debate becomes more mainstream. I mean, I know it's being sort of floated out there. But when we really start discussing it, what do you need to look for? What arguments are we made? And how do you counter those? Or how do you at least think about it a little differently? So hopefully we'll give you those perspectives today. But before we get into the episode, a brief word from our sponsor, which is MR Insurance, a small business that helps physicians with their disability insurance needs. Michael L. Relvis is a CFP professional and insurance agent committed to helping physicians nationwide with their term life and disability insurance needs. 
He provides an objective, transparent, and education-focused process that aims to help physicians make prudent decisions and avoid overcomplicating things. He exclusively offers own occupation disability insurance policies for residents, fellows, and attending physicians. If you haven't mentioned before, it's important to have own occupation insurance. We know he'd be happy to help you with whatever your needs are. You can find Michael at drpodcastnetwork.com slash mrinsurance or contact him at 800-817-4522. Finally, you can find the show at theparadox.com slash 123. There, the show notes will be linked and you'll find episodes and other things, information pertinent to this discussion. You can also go to patreon.com slash theparadox. And again, that's paradox with a CS. And there you can find ways to support the show financially through monthly contributions, which helps the production and promotion of the show and provides me the necessary encouragement to keep plodding on with this information for all of you. But thanks again so much for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for helping make the show so successful. Uh, It's far more successful than I could ever have imagined. And I owe it all to you, obviously, who are the ones listening and passing on to others. But without further ado, let's get in and discuss vaccine passports and why they're a dumb and dangerous idea. So let's briefly begin by talking about what the argument is for vaccine passports. Essentially, what we're looking to create is a passport, some sort of identification, way of easily transmitting information, saying that you are a safe individual from an infectious standpoint. Uh, What this means is that you've been vaccinated or you have documented antibody titers or some sort of proof that you can't be carrying COVID-19, right? Because this is all in the presumption... We don't care about any other viruses. We're only focusing on SARS-CoV-2, which is COVID-19, can cause COVID-19. SARS-CoV-2, of course, is the virus. COVID-19 is the actual disease process, we'll call it, uh, where you have the respiratory problems and the you know, host of other things that people describe with COVID-19. So what we're looking for is some sort of way of transmitting to other people the information that you are a safe individual or as safe as we could you know, possibly conceive it. So why do we want this? Well, if we're in a large venue and let's say we're hosting a sporting event or a concert, let's say we're lots of people indoors, we could say, you know, there's concern that you're going to bring the virus into my setting. And if you bring it into my setting, you're going to get other people infected. And maybe I don't personally, as a venue owner, care if there's an outbreak in my community. I mean, let's just say that they don't care. But I'm going to care because... I'm going to have patrons who say, you know, I don't feel comfortable going to a concert right now. I don't feel comfortable going to a ball game or whatever it might be, unless I know people there are safe. So they're not going to get me infected. Um, And so that would be the reason to have something like this. And so you could argue that you could have a, you know, proof of vaccination or proof of prior infection. And that way you could have a large gathering of people who are vaccinated or have been prior infection. And we know that we're not going to cause an outbreak. Or if you're someone who goes there, you're not going to have to be concerned about it. You just want to go someplace where it's safe. This is because even if you are vaccinated or you are have had a prior infection, you are obviously at risk for getting infected again. Now, we don't know what the exact rates are. We think with the vaccine, it looks like after you've been fully vaccinated that you're probably about 95% protected, uh, which means only 5% actually get reinfected. When it comes to getting seriously sick and ill, it seems like it's even less than that. And so potentially not 100, but it's pretty close. Probably the same with reinfections as well. Uh, It's possible that if you had an infection at one time and then, you know, you've been infected a second time, the first time was super mild, maybe the second time you're going to get more sick. 
the expectations we talked about in the show many, many times before is that ultimately SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, will become a common cold for us. It'll be like the other four common coronaviruses. The most recent one moving from animals to humans is OC43, which causes a cold, probably because of exposure as a child. And then you have an immune response, a latent one that, although you get sick, you get infected, you can still transmit to others. It doesn't cause any significant lower respiratory infections. It's mainly upper, like, you know, runny nose, cough, those sorts of things. As we know with any sort of cold, of course, if you have pre-conditions that set you up for worse disease, like let's say you have asthma, it can cause exacerbations of asthma. It can make you more sick. You can get sinus infections, secondary infections due to these common colds. And so common colds can actually cause lots of real problems, not usually significantly where we're, you know, people in the ICU, we're having people die from it. Obviously, you're very elderly, then you are at risk for even a common cold killing you. But this, for the average person, is pretty rare. So that's sort of the, the premise. And so if you are a venue and you want people to feel safe, maybe you feel like if I have some sort of way of verifying that you are a safe individual, vaccinated or prior infection, Maybe it's a private actor does this. Maybe it's the federal government who does this. Whoever does it, someone does do it so that I know it's safe to let you in my premises. Obviously, you can see where other businesses may think this is a good idea as well. Maybe your restaurant or basically any sort of retail venue that thinks that they're going to have more than a few people around. You could say, we need to verify that you are a safe individual, that you are have been vaccinated or you're not infected. So in order to make our other patrons feel safe and to visit our business, we need to make sure that people feel safe. And our assumption is the only way people are going to feel safe is if they know they're going to an area where people are vaccinated or not carrying the disease, or that the chance of them carrying disease is so low that they don't even worry about it. So that's what we're going to worry about as a business. So we need some sort of means. Someone needs to produce something, and we're going to call it a passport in order to have a way of keeping people safe when they're out and about doing their business. Maybe this is traveling in a plane on a bus, in a train. Um, maybe it's going through the grocery store, going to the shopping mall, going to wherever. I mean, you can imagine a million different places where people can travel, where businesses may insist on people having this identification. Now, probably you'd have a number of businesses that would choose to not require that as a political statement or whatever. And, you know, they encourage people to come who maybe, you know, haven't had this sort of thing or they say, we're not going to demand this. People have this vaccine passport, and you know there'd be a battle sort of to see how much importance people put on having a vaccine passport. You know whether there were that many people who say I'm not going to go to the grocery store because you know goodness I might get COVID because they're not making sure everyone has been vaccinated who enters the store. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. And as a libertarian, you may look at it and say, well, we'll let the market decide that. Uh, if you're some other political bent, you know, you may look at it differently. But essentially, I think that's what the argument runs down to. What this argument is not about, it is not about an actual passport in the sense of traveling internationally. So I think we need to just, I don't know if that's intentional in the wording that they use the word passport, uh, but this is essentially for domestic movement. That's what you want to think about the vaccine passport people are talking about. So are you in favor of a passport that is, that is going to prevent you from moving about the country? Into, inside of venues to travel, um, you know, are these things going to be ubiquitous? And so that is what the question is that we need to discuss. 
And so that is what the vaccine passport is. It has nothing to do with international travel, although it is entirely possible that if these things exist and become very common, that international entities will require that to enter the country. We'll talk about the international aspect of this at the very end of this podcast, uh, because I think it's unique and it's something that I think it's worth discussing as far as uh, the vaccine status when you go to other countries and things like that. But for right now, let's just focus on the United States. So we're going to talk about, first of all, why this is a dumb idea, not dangerous, dumb. <laughs> and, and I think it's because from a practical standpoint, it doesn't make much sense. And I'll explain that right now. So as I'm recording this right now, um, April 8th, 2021, I'm looking at the most recent numbers that I could find in the CDC on vaccination rates in the United States and from April 7th. As a primer, there are 329 million Americans. We have about 109.9 million Americans, so about 110 million, have been vaccinated, at least one dose. And we think one dose is still going to provide about 80% of protection, which is pretty close to, uh, that's a really good vaccine. Uh, once you get the second dose, we think it's about 95%. Uh, this doesn't take into account the Johnson Johnson. But anyway, let's just say we have 110 million Americans have been vaccinated. Uh, 64 and a half has been, have been fully vaccinated. Of those over the age of 65, which are the ones at the highest risk for complications and problems with hospitalizations, ICU stays, and death, we're at 76.4% have received at least one dose. So that's up a little bit from when we recorded a couple weeks ago, where it was about 70%. And uh, 57% have been fully vaccinated. Of those over the age of 18, because we know most of you, unless you're under the age of 16, you're not allowed to get the vaccine, uh, where about 42.4% of Americans have received one vaccine dose. If we also then assume that about a third of Americans, which is just a guess, between 20 to 30, maybe sometimes 40%, depends what your number is, have actually been infected and have had some natural immunity from this infection. So if you've been infected, you're also going to have had an immune response similar to a vaccine. Maybe your immune response would be better with a vaccine, maybe be better with a natural infection. I don't think we really know these things. There's probably plenty of individual variation. But either way, you are assumed someone at this point you're not going to have lost your antibodies in less than a year, most likely. And so we're going to say that you're probably immune. And then if we take the assumption that a third of Americans have been infected naturally and that those people got vaccinated at the same rate of people who haven't been infected, which is an assumption and, you know, we hard to verify this sort of thing. But let's say that's the case. Then a third of people who are getting vaccinated are of no benefit, right? So they've already had natural infection uh, immunity uh, so that we're not really adding much to that. But if we add the um, percentage of people who've been vaccinated, uh, we're looking at 42% plus another 20 or so percent. We're about 65% of people over the age of 18 have been vaccinated. Much lower number for the whole United States because we have a lot of children and obviously they can't be vaccinated this time. But for those who are adults, we're at 60 plus percent. The rate at which we're vaccinating is accelerating in this country, and so it will not be long before we've pretty much vaccinated everyone who wants to be vaccinated. I I've guessed that by the end of June, everyone who will have wanted to be vaccinated will have been vaccinated. I think that's probably maybe even an underestimate. Maybe it'll be even before then. We're going to be start moving into children at that point. Vaccine distribution has gotten a lot better. The vaccine actual production has been better. And so I think in this country we're doing really well in that sense. And so we've been, it helped pays to be rich, right? And so our country is going to be vaccinated pretty fully by, I think, midsummer outside of children because there's still trials undergoing for when children are safe to be vaccinated. And I suspect that will pick up by the fall 
uh, where we have kids who are, you know, 10 years old getting vaccinated and maybe down to six months. I don't know. We're just kind of have to see how things fall at that point. And that's another discussion. But the point is within a month, couple months, we're going to have a lot more people vaccinated. Also, we're having this new wave. I think it's probably going to hit, the, it's starting in the upper Midwest and the Michigan area, my hometown, my home state. And it's spreading out. I think it probably is going to hit the south and southeast in the Mountain West, probably within a couple of weeks, maybe fueled by the variants that are creating, you know, a little increased transmission, probably partly just co- you know, pandemic fatigue from people just being out and about doing stuff and people who are the most at risk have now been protected. And so people who are less at risk, meaning younger people are, you know, less likely to be worried about it and they might be out doing their business. Anyway, I think you just have more activity. And so probably you're going to have this other wave <clears throat> until everyone's fully vaccinated. But anyway, the point is, within a couple months, this country will be pretty much immune in the sense that we're not going to have these pandemics. These We're not going to have the hospital filling up with just piles of bodies. That said, there will absolutely be people who have not been vaccinated, who choose not to be vaccinated, who will then get a natural infection. But we're not going to have so many people who are at potential of getting infected and going to the ICU that we're going to have problems with our stresses in our healthcare system. Maybe initially it'll be kind of a little bit tight, but then as soon as those people get a natural infection, we're going to get to the point where there's just not going to be, you know, overwhelming in the ICU, which ultimately is all we really care about. If people just get a bunch of colds, we don't really care, right? I mean, that's the whole point. Once we get past this initial sort of wave infections and people who are super susceptible to the disease and we get to the point where they just get colds or, you know, really sick for a couple of weeks, but they're basically fine. We don't really care. And I think that's what we're going to be in, you know, a year or two from now. But right now, we're emerging from this pandemic. Within about two months, we're going to the point where, aside of having spreads in children, we're not going to probably have significant spreads within the adult population that's going to cause a strain in the healthcare system. And so then you ask yourself the question, do I care, right? Because if you are, uh, if you need a vaccine passport, well, if there's not much transmission in the community, do you really care if there's people who are vaccinated, not vaccinated, going to a baseball game? I mean, I don't know that you really care, right? Or, uh, you know, we go to the grocery store. Now, there certainly will be some people who are still terrified of this disease, which you could argue is either rational or irrational. But either way, uh, there will be some people who will think this is, you know, they'll still be locked up and think it's not safe to go out and about anymore. And they may be that way for quite a while. I'm not sure. But for most people, I think they're going to be comfortable just going out and about and doing their business once they see that people are not, you know, filling up the hospitals and those sorts of things. So if that's the case, within a few months, the usefulness of a passport for domestic travel and engagement and activities will, I think, be pointless. I mean, there's not going to be any practical reason for it because, yes, you will ostensibly be safer if you have this sort of thing, but you're not going to actually need it to keep yourself from getting too sick. So there won't be much point to it from that standpoint. So the biggest argument against the vaccine passport is in this country, there's just no point to it, right? For moving around the country to moving to various venues with large groups of gatherings of people, groups of people, it's not going to make a difference whether you have immunity or not, because most people will have immunity at this point, either through a vaccine or through a natural infection. And so the the risk of a big outbreak or a, is just going to be so small so I don't think there's any point to it. Outside of that, the other practical considerations of this vaccine passport are worth talking about too. So what are the problems there? Well, one is, 
how do you even define what immunity is? Well, if I get a vaccine, you say, well, you've been vaccinated, so we can definitely mark it down. Well, how long is it good for? Will my passport keep track of those sorts of things? Well, maybe it's electronic. It'll keep track of these things and it'll designate you have a certain amount of time that it's good for. But what if I had natural infection? Do I have to have antibody proof? How do I enter it in? Is that the same? Does it give me the same sort of long length of protection? How do I know when I actually had it? Is it good for like 12 months, 18 months, 24 months? Uh, these things aren't known. And so you'll have this passport that will basically you'll have to continually update. How are you going to update it? Um, how do you change it? And then finally, the limitations in technology. I mean, if it's easy to say, well, you just put an app on your smartphone. Well, not everybody has a smartphone. Not everyone has cell service. Some people might not be able to use it. My parents, for instance. My dad calls smartphones gizmos, and he does not actually have one. Now, he's not super old. He's retired, he's senior, but he's not someone who couldn't have one. He just doesn't choose to have one, you know, smartphone. There are lots and lots of people who are in this category. And so can you imagine always having to have your phone and have a charge and have ability to get into a venue? It's like, you know, sure, you could say, well, I'm going in a plane. I got to make sure I have this. And so that would be the usual sort of level of planning you do. But you may not think like, oh, I'm going to go to the grocery store. I got to make sure I have my phone with me or whatever. What if it's broken? What if it's out of work? You can't suddenly go into a place and get something for a day or two days or three days while you're trying to get the money to get a new phone or get new service. There are all sorts of problems with this vaccine passport if there's truly going to be these significant restrictions on your movement and travel through the through the country. Again, we're not talking about international travel. That'll be a different subject entirely. But for domestic movement about and to actually get stuff, it's not a it's not a reasonable, I think, expectation for people to have. Yes, lots of these things could sort of be worked out through technology. They could have automatic things figuring out what's you know the recommended time for timing for antibody testing and stuff like that. But imagine the sort of the the monkey business you have to go through just to be able to go to the grocery store and regular restrictions of movement. Uh, and then again, this is all for basically no point because we're not going to have problems with immunity or, you know, vaccinations. So I think, you know, for domestic movements about, there's no point to having this sort of vaccine passport. And I've already sort of hinted at the problems from the dangerous standpoint. Like, why is this a real problem, a threat to your privacy? Well, your data is not secure. I don't want to give it to a third party vendor. I do things on my, I, you know, do my, what I can and working towards getting more and more stuff off of uh, social media, or at least trying to, uh, trying to get stuff off of places that can solve my information. The HIPAA is you've way back in an earlier episode, we talked about how it's actually a way of transferring information, health information more cleanly and quickly. It's actually nothing to do with patient privacy that actually hasn't changed at all. So I'd recommend you go back and listen to that if you find that hard to believe, but HIPAA is a way of moving information cleanly, quickly, and I would not want to give another third party my health information because I know what they'd use with it. Uh, it would not be just to keep me safe and keep others safe. It would be absolutely 100% uh, given to third parties. Maybe they're governments without warrants. I don't know. Um, you could argue, well, uh, what do I have to fear? Well, here's what you have to fear. Right now, it would be about the vaccination with SARS-CoV-2. And then it's going to be, you know, mumps, measles, rubella, all the other things that hepatitis and, you know, the other vaccines that we get in this country. But then you have a way of keeping track of how people are from a health standpoint. And you can imagine it only takes a, one person to come up with an idea, which I guarantee you people have already had this idea. 
of what other things can we put on this record? I mean, it's helpful. It's handy. Why don't we put your allergies on that thing? Why don't we link a lot more of your your health information to this thing? Because, you know, the way you go to the ER, you're unconscious. They can access this app. Maybe they have a backdoor way of opening up, uh, you know, when you're unconscious. And that way they can save your life. Well, if they have a backdoor, other people have a backdoor, right? And other people can access that information. And now you've got more information that's out there that's potentially at risk. But why stop there? Why not add other things like maybe you're dealing with depression or anxiety. Maybe you've had suicidal thoughts. Maybe you've had some problems with domestic violence or you've, or you've been abusive in some way. Well, now we can link that to there as well. Now we can restrict what, where you can travel entirely, right? Like you have a venue. It's like, I don't want someone who's coming to my place who is history of alcoholism or someone who has a history of mental illness because, heck, they might be carrying a firearm. I'm not going to want that person in my concert, so I'm going to restrict that person from coming in. You can see how this very easily can become much, much larger. And to think that it won't, I think is, I think you're fooling yourself, right? And again, all of this is in order to make it easier to prevent the spread of COVID-19, which will be a complete non-issue in about two months. So by the time this ever even got implemented or created, I know some there's some like pilot programs in some states, but essentially this will serve no purpose. And all this is, I think, ultimately uh, for other things. And so that's the plan is to this passport will be expanded upon uh, almost certainly. And to think that it's not, I think, I don't know, you've not looked at history before. I'm not sure. Uh, but I find it hard to believe that you think this would be just restricted to COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2. And so I don't like the fact that you're restricted in travel. I don't like the fact that your uh, health information would be accessible to other people. I don't like the fact that it's going to provide impetus to put other things on the record, which absolutely it would, and that it will be used for ways of controlling your movement, controlling your actions, con- and, you know, as they all say in economics and sociology now, the nudge, right? So, like, we're not going to make you get vaccinated, but you have to in order to go to the grocery store or something or or to go try get, ever get on an airplane or to get on a train. Uh, it'd be much simpler if you said, well, we just have to make you get... Um, show a vaccine proof of vaccination or something like that, or proof of immunity on the airplane, uh, which they can do now. And I don't think that's totally unreasonable, but it's also not a centralized, easily accessible uh, thing that's going to be used by all sorts of different businesses. And again, within two months, airlines are going to care if you've been vaccinated, because if you're a United States citizen, well, you're almost for sure going to be vaccinated or have had natural immunity. So we don't care because it's just not an issue anymore. And so, I think they're not going to have people who's like, well, I'm not going to get an airplane because there's, you know, 0.02% chance I'm going to get on the airplane with someone who's got COVID-19 because you're not going to care because it's just not an, it's not an issue anymore. And so I think for that reason, I don't think businesses are going to be demanding it in a few months in order to maintain their business. If we had no vaccine, I think this would be a entirely different discussion, at least from that standpoint. But it's not. We have a vaccine that's highly effective. We have people who've been naturally infected. I think this is pretty much a moot issue. Ultimately, this vaccine passport is a dumb idea because it is practically going to be very difficult to implement. It's going to be hard to figure out the characteristics for what, who is and isn't immune, how you're going to update it this, you know, what's a verified source. But practically, COVID-19, the disease, the pandemic, will be pretty much gone from the United States in the sense that it's going to cause massive population problems in a few months. And so if that's the case, there's just no point making this thing. And there's no point having it. It's dangerous in that it gives 
it centralizes your health information in one spot, uh, gives people an encouragement to add other things to it, and it will absolutely be used as a means of restricting your access to commercial venues, probably residential venues, but uh, traveling. Uh, it's I think the potential for abuse is extremely high. The utility of it is extremely low, which means it's of no benefit. And so I don't think it's, I think it's a really bad idea. I think we should do what we can to prevent it. I would encourage you to send me emails to at um, the Paradox Show at uh, protonmail.com. You can also go to the paradox.com website. You can contact me through that and send me, you know, your response if you think this is not a good idea or you think it is a good idea and you think I'm totally off base. I'd love to hear those comments. I'd love to have that discussion and um, we'll maybe introduce it again in another show coming up. I do want to talk briefly about international travel. So other countries obviously don't have any access to the vaccine. They're years away from getting it, you know, implemented. I mean, like if you look at Africa and lots of poor parts of the world, they're not going to have access to the vaccine. And they're, they are absolutely going to be having problems with variant formations. They're going to be, have problems with more natural infections and people are just going to continue to get more and more infections until they have a natural immunity where it's not going to be, you know, huge problems as far as pandemic size or epidemic size, you know, um, hospital crises. But I think that's going to be a while for lots of these countries. And so I think that's a real consideration and concern for them, those countries. By that mean, too, I think it's entirely reasonable to have countries that have fairly vaccinated populations, you know, they can, they can not be worried about those people coming into our country because we're like, well, we're pretty much okay uh, coming in, but you could put restrictions on international travel, I suppose, or, you know, proof of vaccination, which is different than a vaccine passport. Uh, But those countries that are maybe dealing with it, they may restrict travel and that may not be an unreasonable thing to do. They don't want people coming in with SARS-CoV-2 and bringing them to the country. But I think ultimately it doesn't make that much of a difference unless you're a nation that has somehow got ahead of it right away, which New Zealand and Australia did. And they pretty much have normal lives is stuck in their country where they're unable to leave or have anyone come in, uh, which will probably set them back a little ways ultimately. Um, but that's certainly a consideration. And so maybe, you know, for those countries, it'll make sense to prevent travel. And so I think those are different questions about vaccine traveling and proof of immunity and whatever uh, that those countries will have to just figure out. And that is a entirely different question that we're talking about domestic travel. My feeling is once you're in the country, in this country, you can travel, move about the country as you normally would and have some arbitrary restrictions. It doesn't make any sense. And it's un-American and it's violation of our basic liberties. And there's no 100% safe option. There never will be. We have a virus that is, for the most part, very survivable, doesn't cause, I mean, it's caused a lot of deaths, but lots of, but ultimately it is not super deadly. It's not like Ebola, uh, where we have to quarantine and contain people and prevent these uh, massive outbreaks because we're going to have, you know, millions of people dying. It's a tr- It's been a tragedy that a lot of people have died early, but ultimately we're not talking about something like HIV, where if it was an aerosolized virus, I mean, can you only imagine if all these people are suddenly immunocompromised and we had, we'd have had millions and millions and millions and millions of people who are deceased. Uh, and I think, you know, we just have to take things in perspective. Ultimately, once we get the people who are most at risk for getting really bad complications going to the hospital, immunized or have natural infection, 
we're kind of through the thick of the things and then we can kind of back off. We have to. We cannot continue restricting commerce and everything else we're doing. It doesn't make sense. And it's not really living. And so, you know, I think we've argued in the show before about schools and all kinds of other things. But I think right now we're at the end of this. Try and avoid getting infected for a little while until you're vaccinated. It'd be my recommendation. I mean, I guess if you want to just go go out and alone and just risk it, that's up to you. You're an adult. But I think, you know, again, for me, I'd rather be vaccinated first and then get the natural infection later in a couple of years and get another natural infection in a couple of years. And we're just kind of worried about life as it goes on there. But ultimately, vaccine passport's a bad idea. Please give me comments. Leave comments in. You can direct those again to the Paradox Show at protonmail.com. We'll have a great, great discussion. I hope this was helpful and that you see that vaccine passports aren't a good idea. In fact, they're probably a bad idea for a number of reasons laid out. And I hope I relayed them out reasonably. And I hope I made a reasonable position on the supporting. And we kind of knocked that down. If you've not yet, I'd also encourage you to subscribe to the show. And then as we move on, I want to thank you for tuning in. And before we end, I don't want you to forget to reach out to MR Insurance Consultants, where their goal is to assist physicians in obtaining the most comprehensive coverage available to fit their unique situation. Reach out for both excellent and quality service at drpodcastnetwork.com slash mrinsurance. Thanks for listening to The Paradox. If you like what the doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher and share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash the paradox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com. Thank you.